episode of Two Girls, One Podcast is brought to you by Electricity, the exciting new technology that's sweeping the nation. See in the dark without burning down your house. Play your phonograph cylinders without turning the crank. And listen to this very podcast thanks to tiny electrons dancing around inside your Microsoft Zune. This episode is also brought to you by you, the listener. That is, of course, if you support 2G1P on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash 2G1P to support this show and learn about sweet perks like sometimes hearing your name spoken aloud. You should stop listening to this and head over to patreon.com slash 2G1P. I mean, here are some great podcast hosts named Allison Goldberg and Jennifer Jamula. Hello, everyone. I'm Jen. I'm Allie. Welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast. As you all know, Allie and I are performers whose work has looked at internet culture and communities. Uh, back in the day, we performed a show called Blogologues, where we used the internet as a script and performed blog posts and other things like that on stage. Then we moved along, made a web series called Two Girls, One Show, where we met the people behind the posts we'd been performing and went on scripted adventures. And last but not least, and uh, hopefully not last, I mean, there are going to be more projects, but what we're doing now is Two Girls, One Podcast, <laughs> where we interview uh, people behind communities and internet phenomena that we just find so fascinating. So welcome. Hey, guys. Hey, Allie. Hey, Matt. How you doing? Good. 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 Yeah. Good. 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 Um, uh, yeah, I'm great, actually. Yeah. And that's our show. Thanks for tuning in. Why are you great? Are you just joking around? No, I've slept five nights in a row. Oh my god! Thank you. You can slow down that clap, man. Thank you. Yes, I can't get excited till it's like a full month, but I'm pretty excited. Wow, Uh, yeah, and you don't want to jinx it, so we're gonna stop talking about it. Yeah, Mm. but I tried. I tried some weird shit. I got my chakras realigned. Holy (laughs) what? Can we please hear about that? (laughs) Listen, I'm trying not to be a skeptic, but. I'm not so sure that did anything for me. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm trying to be open-minded. Wait, quick question. What did they do to realign your chakras? Was it an in-person procedure? Yeah, so I know this girl who used to work with the Dalai Lama. So if anyone was going to be legit, it's her. Yes. And what, what I'm going to leave do? it there. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's lovely. I don't know if she's going to hear this at some point. She's lovely. I think if you are going to go for that kind of stuff, she is the person to go to. Okay. And I tried to go in with a really open mind, but I don't know if that kind of stuff is for me. Yes. Jen, do you believe in chakras? Well, you know, sure. It's not something I like think about every day or really like adhere to in any meaningful way. What I do remember is when we first were studying acting in school, I had a wacky professor 
named James, James. Luce. <laughs> yeah. Who <laughs> taught taught us how to act based on chakras. He'd be like, this character is a green chakra heart character. And like as crazy as that sounds, it just like flipped the switch for me in terms of acting. So yeah, I do believe in chakras, but I was curious what you did because uh like a few years ago somebody i a friend of mine i'm not going to say her name but i like trust her and she's a very reasonable person she did like a chakra cleansing process or something it was i guess it was a realignment and so i went to the same person and it was one of the weirdest things i've ever done it was like wait so you've done it too i think it was something different though but she like kind of like led you through like a past life sort of situation and you like acted it out and you were like alone in a room with somebody part of it was like on a yoga mat and she was like uh like waving little things over me <laughs> incense yeah, yeah, yeah that happened to me yeah that okay. happened to me yeah. okay yeah <laughs> and i didn't feel moved by it at all i left and i was like oh that was a waste of money but it was sort of interesting <laughs> yeah. But, uh, c- c- yeah just can you back up because i i truly don't know what the fuck a chakra is like <laughs> I, I don't can you like establish like what is the concept or the mechanic of rearranging is it energy is, yeah. it, energy. is it a psychological thing yeah yeah i think it's energy you know i'm gonna misspeak but i think it's like we have seven of energy centers in your body and it goes from like top to bottom at the top of the crown of your head down to like the root of your body um and each one has a certain color a certain energy like you said like your third eye between your eyes is all about intuition um the one at the root of your body is all about survival and like basic needs and apparently you can like uh cultivate them tap into them sometimes they're blocked and you need to open them (laughs) that sort of thing and you can uh, do it through yoga and other things like this process that Allie went through and I went through apparently. And then I tried hypnotherapy. I've had an interesting week. Mm. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about that in the Discord or, you know, somebody had asked, Chad asked yeah. about it. So, yeah. Chad in our Discord has told me many times to do hypnotherapy and I tried two other hypnotherapists who were total fucking clowns. One of them, she knew Literally. I was traveling. Yeah, she, I showed up Literally like red clapped. nose, white face wig. <laughs> It happens. Were they down? One of them, were they down what? to clown? Were they down the, to clown? The first two were not down to clown, but the oh, okay. third one Serious was clown. down to clown. Yeah, but wasn't a clown. It oh, was really yeah, yeah. So the first one, I traveled way out of my way, and she knew I was coming specifically for hypnotherapy for insomnia. And when I got there, pulled the same shit that all the Western doctors I went to did, where she basically asked me a bunch of questions implying that I was secretly depressed and didn't know it. And that's why I wasn't sleeping. And I wanted to go on a murderous rampage. And then, oh, and then at the end of the session, she was like, ooh, so sorry, we're out of time for hypnotherapy. And I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yes, she was a clown. How convenient. Oh my God, it was so awful. And then the second one I went to was like, you're an actor, just act like you're a good sleeper. And I was like, I will kill everyone in the night because... They will be sleeping. I will be awake. And then is that like I a was, fake until you make it approach? <laughs> like just fake, fake that you can, that you're sleeping it's until just you like, sleep. If it was that easy, do you think that I would be contacting you? You are, you are an actor. Just act like you don't have cancer. That should solve it. <laughs> totally. What the fuck. <laughs> no, yeah. it was so awful. It was so awful. And then a friend recommended this guy that I saw on Friday, and it was fucking crazy. Like I don't know if it's gonna help my insomnia or not it's too soon to tell though i have slept the past few nights but it was fucking crazy like i legit was like in a trance the craziest part for me was just like i still consider myself a type a neurotic new yorker so i just thought 
then it wouldn't even be possible to get me in that kind of state. And like, it was crazy. Like I had an out of body experience where I felt like my body was falling and I was watching my life on a movie screen and it was fucking crazy. Sounds like VR. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And there we go. So today's topic is <laughs> VR. <laughs> Lovely transition. Virtual Ew. reality. We're talking to an expert in VR, but specifically looking at the multiplayer worlds where these communities have formed. And even more specifically, he covered the first VR wedding or like the first where they met in VR and got married in VR. So sign me up for my new dating profile Uh in virtual reality. My avatar is a panda (laughs) with a bow tie. I'm adorable. That's right. Um, Just to mention, his name is Peter Peter Rubin. His book that he has out now is called Future Presence, How Virtual Reality is Changing Human Connection, Intimacy, and the Limits of Ordinary Life. And as Ali said, he did write about virtual weddings, which you can check out on Wired, where he's the senior correspondent. So we are excited about that. So excited. Um, But Matt, do we have trivia today? What do we think? I do have trivia for you today. Today's episode is about virtual reality. And today's trivia is, of course, about virtual insanity. (laughs) The Jamiroquai song? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Really? You might have presumed what? that this what? was a, a medical condition from spending too much time in VR. That's bullshit. I'm, of course, talking about the 1996 hit song by British pop funk band Jamiroquai. <laughs> <laughs> Not only is that an awesome song, isn't yes. that the best? It's the best. You can put on any any 90s music and I immediately start dancing like an idiot. I'm going to just, <laughs> as I grow older, it's going to get worse, I realize. Yes, <laughs> the same. Yeah. Uh, now, you are both familiar with the song, I assume. We're all the same age, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Great song, but became really popular thanks to a very innovative music video. It features the band's lead singer, whose name is JK. He's in a white and gray room where the floor starts moving under his feet as he's dancing, which creates like very mesmerizing moonwalk type choreography and the the furniture kind of starts floating through the room. Like, you probably remember this video, right? Yes. No. Not a, you don't. Ali no. did not watch television for a period of time, though. That's right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's true. right. I'm sending you the YouTube video. Do I need to like pause and watch this? Watch the first 30 seconds of it. That was an ad. Oh my god, this ad is so stupid. When can I skip it? Okay. I'm leaving all this in, by the way. You are? No, you're not. <laughs> His top hat is doing it for me. Yeah. Like great choreography, great yeah, costume. I think it's a moving floor, yeah. Right, right. What's All he right, up to now? Wow! Great. 130 million views. 130 million views on the YouTube video alone. That's how influential this video was and is. Uh, it was awarded video of the year at MTV's 1997 Video Music Awards. And according to the director of the video, Jonathan Glazer, who is a very famous film director and commercial director, the entire thing to make this video, which is basically all shot in that room uh, that you just saw, uh, 150,000 British pounds uh, in 1996 roughly equates to 184,000 US dollars, which in today's money 
roughly $300,000. Take all of that with a grain of salt because you're talking about inflation and, and exchanging that things that I don't understand. But roughly, let's say 300 grand, which is not a lot of money to make a music video, especially yeah. one as innovative as this one. How did the director and crew achieve this groundbreaking effect of a moving dance floor at the time? This is 1996. I have three choices for you. I'm still watching it. If you guys haven't seen this in a yeah. while, you got to go back and watch it. <laughs> I'm going to click out now so I can pay attention to it. Okay. Close your tabs. So how, how did they achieve it? Okay. A, each piece of the set was on separate hydraulic lifts and 22 crew members were activating them off camera at very precise sequences. It took them 48 takes to get it just right. What? So it was like mechanized by people? Right. Okay. Yeah, it's like the... Uh, what's the thing? The chest? The guy? He's playing? It's actually a guy underneath? Mm. Oh. Mechanical Turk. There you yes. go. Love it. That's choice A. Choice B, the floor in this video is not actually moving. The walls are moving, creating the illusion of the moving floor. That's choice B. Choice oh, wow. C, the walls, floor, and all the furniture in the room are not actually there. The singer is surrounded by green screens and the rest was added later as CGI and image compositing, which, if you recall, in 1996 was the first time CGI was used for television only. That's non-theatrical. So Jurassic Park and those types of movies were starting to come on the scene, but this was the first time CGI was used for television. 1996, that's choice C. I'm going with Mechanical Turk. I'm going to say the walls were moving. Allie says all the pieces are on hydraulic lifts being yeah. moved by the Mechanical crew. Mechanical Turk. Mechanical Turk and Jen goes with B that it's an illusion. The floor is not actually moving. The walls are moving. That's right. We will find out the correct virtually insane answer after this important commercial break. And now a real advertisement entitled full-size wax figures dressed in Amish wardrobe. 40 different sizes, ages, male, female. From the website where I furnish all of my vacation properties, Craigslist. Selling 40 full-sized wax figures in Amish wardrobe. Originally from Lancaster Wax Museum in a barn raising scene. Varying sizes, ages, and details on these figures. The wardrobe can be exchanged to suit your historical or theatrical needs. There are five female figures, three children figures, about 32 male figures, and one dog. Five of the men are mechanical. The dog is mechanical as well. Varying conditions. The parts are removable and some are disassembled but can be assembled for viewing. Fifteen hundred dollars for animatronic figure. Three hundred fifty for full-sized adults. Three hundred dollars for children slash dog. Hoping to sell as a set. Only reasonable offers. And serious buyers, please. So I grew up near Amish country and we went and made like beeswax candles. And mm -hmm. I was like, are they made of beeswax? Because they're wax, right? 
Mm, interesting. Right, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, wax, they're wax figures. How creepy would it be if you came into my home and I had those? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a housewarming party soon, and I should also just set up all my Irish figures. <laughs> it's just um 32 Amish men in They're a room. Life says. I know also it's like three women like 32 men. I was like, oh, I, I know. know. <laughs> yeah. And one dog. <laughs> Sounds dangerous. Have, have have the housewarming party, but only invite two people and the rest of the house <laughs> yeah. is just the wax figures. Amish figurines. Yeah. Yes. That's fucking creepy. Uh, how do you right. me- how do you do a mechanical wax figure? Cuz like I've been to the Madame Tussauds or whatever and they're very um, it's amazing artistry, but getting them to move, I don't know about that. I don't know. It must be like pulleys and levers and I I don't know. Just not <laughs> yeah. I I actually don't want to know, I think is what I'm trying to I can't to. believe you've been to the wax museum. You're yeah. like a tourist. You've never been? I know, no. I know. But you never even, but you don't want to just go and see it. I don't know why I was there. Why was I ever there? I don't know why you were there either. <laughs> yeah, good question. But I feel like I have been. Maybe not in New York, maybe somewhere else. I don't know. I mean, I've seen it from the outside. The, the building? Like, yeah, and like there's a couple figurines like right out front and stuff, but oh, okay. I haven't gone inside. So, yeah, because I make better choices than that. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. You don't want a photo for your Instagram of yourself shaking hands with Elvis? Oh my God, mm. fucking Instagram and wax museums. <laughs> well, pretty soon we'll be able to hang out with their holograms in VR. Yeah, baby. Mm-hmm. That would have been a great transition to the interview, except it's time for the trivia answer. Gosh darn it. I'm ready. Virtual reality, more like virtual insanity, the 1996 hit song from Jamiroquai. Whatever happened to that that guy or that I band? Know. I don't know. so good. I, probably should have researched that but i didn't just looked into how they made their iconic award-winning music video from 1997 uh where jk dances on a moving floor it's pretty rad if you don't know what we're talking about we'll put the link in the show notes uh truly iconic video how did they make it a hydraulic lifts and 22 crew members and 48 takes b the floor was not moving they were actually moving the walls or c all of its green screen CGI and compositing, the first in television history. Ali went with A, the hydraulic choreography, right? Mm-hmm. Jen, you went with B, it's all an illusion. It's the walls moving, not the floor. That is correct. The correct answer is B, moving Woo! walls. I'm oh, crushing this that... trivia lately. Yeah. You are. I finally got smart. I don't know what happened. Oh, <laughs> um, well done. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, It was truly a guess, though. So, yeah, what happened? They wanted to do it the first way uh, with hydraulics, where they were going to, like, move all the pieces independently, like, physically move them, and they, like, sketched out the budget, and it was, like, way too too much money. It was was virtually insane to do that. So one of the, the, in a documentary, the director's like, one of the crew members was like, okay, what if we have a huge floor that doesn't move and we have a little box that's the room and the box moves around the floor. So I'm trying to like, imagine you have a, a cup turned upside down and you're moving it along the table and your little dancer is inside. Mm-hmm. That's what's actually happening in the video. The camera is fixed to the, to the room or to the cup. And as you move it, it appears that the floor is moving, but actually the entire room is moving. And then if you watch the video, if you know the video, the furniture either moves or doesn't move. So like a a couch or a chair will be stationary. And then all of a sudden he'll like gesture to it. And then it starts like moving towards him. That's because the crew was like 
bolting and unbolting it to the wall and then moving the room. So the room starts moving, the chair becomes unbolted. As the room moves, the chair actually stays put on the floor, but in the camera shot, it appears that it's floating towards uh, the dancer. If you watch it with that context, it's like brilliant. It truly is amazing. I actually love this old school shit, right? Like I love all the original Star Wars with the actual like puppets and whatever, as opposed to CGI. I don't know. I think there's something really cool about it. I agree. And it's coming back, you know? Yeah, I think it is. There's a renaissance of it, I think. Yeah, well, because people, it does it does look cooler because it's like the person is really there with it. I mean, until CGI and all that shit advances. Have you guys been watching that show on Netflix? Um, it's like Love, Death, and Robots or something. Death, no, Love, and Robots. Know. It's all animated and some of it is like super uncanny valley where I'm like, wait, are these animations or are these people? It's, wow. it's creepy. Be. Anyway, the world well, as we know it is dead. And our guest is here. Yay! Yay! Very excited to have with us Peter Rubin. Peter is a senior correspondent at Wired Magazine, and he is the author of Future Presence How Virtual Reality is Changing Human Connection, Intimacy, and the Limits of Ordinary Life. Welcome, Peter. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Peter, we just we like to start our guests off with something, you know, kind of easy, just like a softball question. So, what is reality? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's that's a good one. Let's start with the building blocks, and then we'll just do, and, we'll, and we'll take it from there. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, seriously, we we did want to start off by just asking you what brought you to this work of yours, examining the intersection of culture and human interaction and technology. Because um, we like to think that's kind of what we were doing with our comedy show for all these years, but it's very different than what you do. So we'd love to hear a little <laughs> bit about that. <laughs> so, so I'd always been into the idea of VR just from being uh, a teenage nerd in the in the heyday of these horrible movies that were coming out. So like Lawnmower Man and Strange Days and and stuff like that. The, that was all just kind of hit me right in the breadbasket and reading sci-fi when I was like 16 years old. Uh, and so fast forward a bunch of years uh, to. 2013 and I'm working at Wired and uh, I went to a video game trade show because I was a culture editor and I saw one of the very, very early demos of what Oculus was building. And I went back to work and I was like, okay, I know, you know, I might be kind of new to Wired, but I know that for like 20 years, 25 years, you've been talking about how VR is coming and it's coming and it's coming. And I was like, well, you might not believe me, but I saw it and it really is coming. Uh, and so that sort of started this this crazy road of covering it. And while I was covering it from, I guess, what can be considered kind of a, a tech perspective, just by virtue of Wired's focus, I always was more interested in how it would influence the sort of evolution of culture and specifically the way we interact. I mean, the from some early pieces, we then did a sex issue at Wired uh, and, and my colleague who was putting it together came to me and she said, will you write something about VR? And I said, I'm happy to, but like, we don't know what VR is going to do to sex. And she said, well, can you think about it and, and predict? And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, so I, so you I tried it. So I tried it, uh, and uh, and now I have a beautiful baby laptop. Uh, uh-huh. Okay. Uh, oh, that sounds like a way more fun, cheaper way to get a laptop. <laughs> okay. So, so I wrote this essay that ended up turning into this book, and the essay basically said, "Look, 
VR and porn is terrible right now because it was like 2015 or whatever. But the point isn't whether or not you are going to really feel like you're having sex. The point is that it sort of changes what porn has evolved or devolved into because it actually puts you in the space with the performer or performers and it completely changes the the sort of emotional calculus or the transactional nature of of what people have become accustomed to to watching and so oh, that wow. was really that was really the germ of the whole thing and then that ended up expanding into a book and because i i feel like i kind of started at the extreme and then i backtracked and was like well wait what does this mean for sort of friendship and for our relationship with ourselves and so that became uh you know we, we kind of started with sex and and the book ends with sex and it takes a, a while to get up to it but but that was sort of the general wow. kernel kernel of the whole thing so by putting on tactile suits and stepping into the pornography of today, we'll realize how far our moral compass has strayed or like how far exactly. we've gone awry. <laughs> exactly. And also and also how high our dry cleaning bills can be. Mm. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I've always loved the idea of walking in on someone who's watching VR porn. In a tactile just suit. Just like humping yeah. away in their tactile suit, just like bone in the air. You know what I mean? Like full on. They would look so cool. There's a moment there because when you walk in on someone now, it's like, <laughs> but they will never, they can't, won't see or hear you. And it just mm. keeps going. Yeah. You'll just That's get the, the popcorn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just watch them fuck it out with the air and they can't deny it. Right. Because you could be watching them for 20 minutes while they're just going to town with yeah. nothing. It could yeah. very well birth an entirely new voyeur genre, which is right. people in headsets getting themselves off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm into this. Well. <laughs> cool. We, so from there. <laughs> yeah. So, well, we've, we found you originally through, we were looking into virtual reality weddings. So you had written this article, what a real wedding in the virtual space says about the future. Um, and we'd love to like hear a little bit about that um and then maybe we could talk about like other trends and definitely we're going to get into sex um but so apparently the wedding that you covered last year was not the first wedding in vr is that true you mentioned something about like one happening in 1994 and what was that <laughs> so so yeah th back in that kind of first blush of of vr at least in the popular imagination uh there was a facility in san francisco that was kind of an early vr arcade and they ended up it was a couple that had met and you know their the relationship was completely conventional in real life in in meat space if you want to use that horrible term but they just as a sort of as a promotional stunt or a publicity stunt they did the actual ceremony wearing vr headsets so it's kind of a very different thing and so if you fast forward to what's been happening the past couple of years this is people meeting in vr forming relationships in vr and then in this case at least reenacting their real world wedding that came about as the result of a VR relationship and then redoing that that wedding in VR, which is a really difficult and convoluted way to describe a VR <laughs> wedding. I, I, yeah. I realize that, but that's what we're talking about here. <laughs> Do you have any idea, even anecdotally, like how many people are meeting in VR and getting married in VR? I think meeting is much higher than getting married in. I mean, certainly yeah. there have been there have been a couple of uh, a couple slash few weddings at the time that I was writing the book uh, and met Priscilla and Mark. The only other one that I knew about was a couple that 
similar to the couple in the 90s, did decided to do it in VR, or I think proposed in VR, or there was something that kind of felt somewhat similar, but wasn't the same thing. So there are certainly relationships that have begun in VR and have sort of spilled over into real life. Um, And then there are some that have begun in VR and have stayed exclusively within VR. I mean, that's something that we've seen for decades, which is people using games and sort of social environments as the backdrop for a relationship that doesn't necessarily move into corporeal life it's purely Mm -hmm. a digitally mediated thing whether it's second life or um games or bulletin boards or chat rooms or what have you you know those sort of things have have always existed but vr because of this phenomenon called presence and specifically embodied presence you're able to really sort of spend time with people in this virtual environment in a physicalized way that, that we've never really had before so the the sort of birth of this kind of relationship that then takes on a real world significance and then even can can turn into marriage. I mean, people have been meeting online and getting married since uh, the 80s and 90s. Uh, So that's nothing new. What changes it is, is this sort of embodied presence phenomenon that kind of changes that whole thing. Peter, for those of us who aren't familiar, would you mind defining, telling us a little bit more about embodied presence? Yes. So presence is what happens when VR is sort of good enough and strong enough that it's so flawless that your brain buys into the reality that you are being presented with. For instance, standing on the ledge of a building, because of presence, if you look over in VR, you're going to get that same sort of fight or flight, almost vertiginous response that you do in real life because your brain has bought into what you're seeing and your body is going to respond in kind. So embodied presence means that when you have enough sort of body parts that you can look at in VR that are moving as though as your real body parts are moving, then that presence isn't just a virtue of being sort of like a floating head in VR. It means you actually have a body in VR. And that's why we have avatars. So your head and your hands are inside VR. So you can look at your hands and move them around and they are doing exactly what your real world hands are doing. So your sense of body ownership transfers over into VR as well. So that's what we call embodied presence. The idea that the body that you look down at in VR is your body. Yeah, you had this really great line in the article that I just loved about, um, you know, if you want to sing head, shoulders, knees and toes, you'll only get about halfway through because the bodies just aren't completely there. So in one of these virtual spaces like Rec Room, for example, uh, what does this actually look like? Part of the big struggle in these sort of early days of social worlds like the rec room, which is the one we're talking about here, is the avatars, the sort of um, characters that we choose to represent ourselves are abstracted to the point of being completely cartoonish. And, and in some ways, they're just missing parts of their body that are hard to render. So like necks are nowhere to be found and <laughs> legs are nowhere to be found. And, and different, you know, different platforms have sort of different workarounds. And, and Facebook is now building a whole new social world that they call Horizon that is going to have our full bodies, but the problem is those full bodies are sort of fabricated, right? Your head and your hands are the only things that are really being tracked in VR because you're wearing a headset and you're holding these hand controllers. So the movement of those three points 
are really the only things that move. And so the what these social worlds do is extrapolate from those data points what the rest of your body might be doing. And now when you start taking out those body parts that are more difficult to sort of derive from that, like legs, it gets a lot easier. It gets really tough when you're saying, well, if this person's head and their two hands are moving in this pattern, what does that mean that their elbows are doing or their lower legs or even their torso? And so, yeah, Rec Room is this, is this like many others, is this land of just like wild amputee cartoons, basically. <laughs> That's definitely a fetish. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Okay, so how did you connect with Priscilla and Mark, the first couple to meet and get married in VR? So like any uh, sort of terrified book writer or terrified journalist who's who's trying to infiltrate a subculture, uh, you know, you start by like going in and hanging out and getting the lay of the land. Uh, and if you're lucky enough, you sort of stumble into this group of incredibly welcoming people that want to show you the community that they have built. Uh, and when that doesn't happen, you go to Reddit. So that's, that's what I did. So that's what I did. Uh, and basically most of these social worlds have a dedicated subreddit because it's Reddit. It's as big as the internet effectively. So, uh, rec room had one and, uh, I had by that point, I'm sure I had interviewed folks who build rec room uh it's a company called against gravity and and uh so i posted in the subreddit basically that i was looking for folks i wasn't even necessarily looking for people who were in a relationship i just wanted to talk to people about what brought them to rec room you know what they had found friendship stuff like that in my mind this was purely going to be talking about just the way that we build new communities mm -hmm. and a bunch of people reached out people were so excited to talk about it and the refrain that i heard again and again was for whatever reason the idea that i try to be as good a person i can as i can in rec room because I want other people to have a good time too so you know you're not really used to hearing that sort of sentiment online That's anywhere. So sweet. Uh, yes. <laughs> right? It, it so it was this yeah. very kind of counterintuitively up with people vibe. Uh and then one 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 person reached out, uh this guy named Think, uh that was his Reddit name as well as his rec room avatar name. And he said, hey, why don't you come in? I'd be happy to show you around. Uh, I've been hanging out with a bunch of people. In fact, one person is uh is about to go visit another person in real life for the first time. So we're all very excited about it. So I went in and I met with him and I hung out with a bunch of people. And among those people were Priscilla and this other guy named Ben who had been, who had kind of become fast friends. And I then Skyped with Priscilla and Ben after Ben had driven from the Cincinnati area down to Alabama to hang out with her for a couple of days. So I got to meet them sort of quote, meet them in real life, at least see them in real life mm -hmm. uh, over a video call after I'd hung out with them in, in VR. And then that sort of continued and we, we kept hanging out in VR. And then months later, Priscilla reached out to me and she said, hey, by the way, I'm getting, I'm getting married to someone uh, that I met in rec room. And I was like, wait, what? I thought you and Ben ended up just being friends. She said, oh, we did. But there was this other guy and the guy named think who had shown me around that first time was this guy mark Ho -ho. and mark and priscilla <laughs> ended up getting married so a lot clearly had happened in the time uh that i was away and Man. you know 
Right? I gotta, you, you, I gotta get into VR because these these normal apps, there's, they're yeah. not the ROI is no good for me. Um, there's no bodily presence. That's right. On no, that's I know. I need to meet like a man with like no fucking torso. Um. So can we back up though? And can you just tell our listeners just a little bit about Rec Room? Like, what is Rec Room? Yes. So so Rec Room is one of a handful of social VR worlds or if you want to call them apps or platforms or games like the, the there is no good word for for what these things are they're effectively you work uh, for wired in vr make the word up and it'll be the word <laughs> i call them i tend to call them platforms because that's the easiest thing yeah. so so some of these are incredibly bare bones right and they just give you a bunch of like cool looking locations that you can go and talk to people in uh rec room sort of came out and did some things very simply, the aforementioned necklessness and leglessness of the avatars, but they did other things really smartly in that they built the whole thing around this idea almost of recess. So everybody has a room, like when you launch into it or you, you, uh, yeah, when you so when you launch a rec room, you are in your own sort of private room and you can change clothes and you can look in the mirror and you can make your avatar look exactly like you wanted to. And then you walk out of your room and you go into this sort of hub area. And from there, you can go and play a bunch of uh, what amount to different games. You can play dodgeball with people. You can play laser tag with people. You can do these sort of cooperative quests with people. And you can also go into a room and just hang out with people. You can play Pictionary if you want to. You can do all these things. And because of embodied presence, you do all these things exactly as you would actually be doing them. Meaning if you're playing Pictionary with people, you reach out with your hand and you pick up a marker that's sitting on the table and then you hold it up to an easel and you draw with it. And that's embodied presence. And it also, that sort of wide ranging structure around games has given Rec Room this sort of enthusiastic and innocent almost user community. And it's it's grown by by leaps and bounds. Now they give users the ability to build their own worlds and create these huge sprawling experiences All that all look kind of really cartoony and non-threatening and unassuming. And it has this very sort of welcoming vibe to it all. But it's also created this uh, really remarkable bedrock for people to create their own experiences and their own communities. And you're seeing this happen, you know, with other social platforms too, but there's, there's something really remarkable about the, the, um, the kind of positive vibe that, that Rec Room has retained. Do you use your own voice? Is it altered? Do you type? How does that work? You do. Yeah. Voices is, is the other thing that sort of direct uh, and, and helps with presence because you talk to people. There's no typing. You you can talk. You can like or you can type basically in in rec room. And this happens in some other social worlds, too. If you look at your wrist, if you look at your watch, this menu pops up. And it has all these other things you can do. And to select it, you just sort of reach out and poke at it with your finger. Uh, you can also type private messages to people using the sort of NVR keyboard, but it's really slow and it's really clumsy. And when you're talking to people, it's a lot easier to just talk to people. You can disguise your voice, but you have to sort of do that outside of it. Like if you want to change your voice, it's kind of up to you to do that. So not many people do that. And it's one of the things, your voice and your sort of 
nonverbal mannerisms are two of those things that really are foundational in translating your actual personality into VR, which is the other magic thing about presence. You kind of have no real way to disguise who you are. You can look different, but the way you move your hands when you talk and the way you kind of cock your head when you listen to people, these are things that are very difficult to suppress the longer you talk to someone, unless mm-hmm. you're kind of a true sociopath. So <laughs> over time, so so over time, your your real personality kind of has no choice but to come out. Yeah. And you know, that's something that we've never really had the the luxury and or curse of before, right? right? It kind of it kind of makes things like catfishing extremely difficult. It kind of makes any sort of fraudulent long con thing that people have used social media for it makes those really difficult and it makes it much easier to just be yourself because you you have no real choice you don't have that that sort of persona curation and that that moment between what do i say if when you're going to type something to somebody in like a chat room or on even on twitter there's so much thought goes into it you want to make it just right and you'll write it and you'll erase it and you'll try it again and you want to hit just that right thing so you sound kind of aloof and cool but funny but not too funny right and you you want to give that perfect version of yourself and you take that mediation away in vr you just are yourself for better, yeah. for worse. I was just, I was curious about voice too, because I feel like taking it a step further to having intimacy with somebody in one of those spaces, I, I would imagine voice would play into that a lot as well as touch. Um, so yeah, definitely curious if we were using real voices or not. Oh yeah. Um, so with the wedding, this is a silly question, but how it's not legally binding in VR. Was this just like, um, like, was it a symbolic ceremony with Priscilla and Mark? How did this all happen? They were married in real life, right? <laughs> so this, this was symbolic. They, they had gotten married in real life, but also the sort of pace of it is, is ridiculous. Like they, so, so this guy, Mark had, had been away from rec room for a while and, the first time Priscilla had this sort of crush on him and it didn't go anywhere. And when he came back, they started spending time together again. And the more time they spent together, the sort of closer they got. And at some point, uh, they kind of hit on this idea of him visiting her. And when he went to visit her, he brought a ring with him. He just had this feeling. So he what? goes to so he goes to Birmingham and let me let me interrupt myself to say neither of these are creepy people right like <laughs> Mark Mark and Priscilla are both incredibly nice uh well adjusted good natured uh no hint of maniac uh, as far as I could see or hear from either of them. The um, best Pris- maniacs always hide it, though. That's true. So true. Uh, you know, Pris- Priscilla's an artist, and uh, and Mark had sort of relocated because his mother had retired and moved to this sort of uh, community in Washington State full of retirees, and he went with her to make sure that she got along okay. He wanted to give it a couple of years. So... So they're like, what, 2,000 miles apart or more, 2,500 miles apart. So he goes to visit her. He brings a ring and they spend a day together. And then the next day he proposes. And then the next day they go and they do a Justice of the Peace style uh, in this park in Birmingham. That feels so irresponsible. (laughs) (laughs) Like, just keep dating. I don't know. We don't know what it was like for them in rec room for all that time. Like. Yeah. I know, but in the real, it's the real world is still different. Wait, they're still together. 
That's what I'm saying. They're still together. Yeah. 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 And both alive, which is an important distinction. So, <laughs> right, the maniac thing checks okay. out. Uh, yeah. So, so they get married in real life. And then at some point, Mark goes home. He goes back to Washington State. And because he's going to move to be with her, they're going to get a place together. And he goes back and they're like, wait a minute. Why, why don't we do this with our friends, with the, with the people who were there when we got to know each other and when we fell in love? So because Rec Room lets you sort of build all these environments yourself, they did this big custom thing with a gazebo in a park, and they got a friend of theirs who is ordained, but did it, I believe he is ordained, but he did it as a non-binding ceremony because they were already married. But they had all the bridesmaids their avatars wore matching outfits and they had a DJ who they built a little DJ table and he piped in music that he was actually playing. And then when, you know, they did speeches and toasts and all the, the whole thing and they danced. And when the couple had their first dance, you know, if you look at the video and they were smart enough to film this, uh, so there is video of it, they're dancing together, but in real life, He's in Washington State and she's in Alabama and they're sort of standing alone in their living rooms with their arms around someone who's only there in VR. It's a fucking it, it's wow. it's so it's 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 I'm stammering because it's difficult to express how crazy that is in my brain. Yeah. Right. And how remarkable <laughs> yeah. that is. And, and when I go and I talk to people about VR. Uh, in kind of any sort of lecture or public speaking capacity, that moment always gets them. Like mm -hmm. I hear like this kind of hum go through an audience when I I'll tell like, them that mm, part. Mm. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a oh, like it, because on on one hand it's they kind didn't of know this how VR worked until that <laughs> moment. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of partially this sort of feeling of that warm fuzzy thing it's like oh and this couple fell in love how nice and then there's all those this the other part of it is this oh god you can do that right this feeling uh of a like a dawning awareness that people can be 2500 3000 miles apart and dance together physically yeah not by is... moving a joystick around right but by standing up and swaying with their arms around empty air it's so wild it makes me so happy and sad like my heart just like feels things <laughs> it's rare for me you know? <laughs> <laughs> we were wondering about the legal uh the legality of it too and it sounds like the couple got as you said got married quickly justice of the peace and then reenacted but i'm wondering do you know are remote marriages of any kind over Skype or in VR like could they be legally binding if the uh, the the uh, minister whoever presiding is ordained and papers are signed and such? Oh, that's such He's a good Googling. question, and I'm glad He's you're Googling. breaking because I can look this up. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I heard the keys. Just click it away. I mean, it's, oh yeah. I was like, new tab, new tab. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's got to be, there has to be a host state, right? There has to be, right. you have to do it by the statutory regulations of one state. 
I'm thinking about a future where this happens way more often and we have to change the rules and get mm. rid of this whole like, I'm standing on this side of a state line, so I'm doing this law <laughs> right. and this is your law. Like that's that becomes very silly very quickly in a world where we're all just popping contact lenses in and, and zipping into VR very quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of state lines and stuff, I was also wondering what percentage of the people in Rec Room are international? Like are these people from all over or they are and 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 they there tends to be on any of these platforms there there's kind of a rolling tide of people in various locations and you see this in in video games too right if you are in the states and you're there at you know some crazy hour you'll see a bunch of Germans coming into the game, right? Because they've all gotten home from work or they've all gotten up and they're doing it before school. And kind of the same thing happens. It's like Japanese users are going to be on at a different time. Definitely, there's a global community. Some have nurtured that more strongly than others. There's one called VR Chat in which you sort of, you don't, build an avatar quite in the same way you can import any avatar you want so it's like you've got hank hill from king of the hill running around with anime characters (laughs) and bugs bunny and it's like an ip lawsuit you know trademark (laughs) violation a go-go in there but it's got a lot of japanese users um and it's also got a lot of uh, non-Japanese users who dress up as tiny Japanese girls because that's VR chat for you. Uh, it's um, That's very oh no. much the sort of... <laughs> if you're looking for like more the Wild West of social VR, it's VR chat, right? Because they are really embracing the sort of, I guess, yeah, lawlessness of the early internet. Yeah. yeah, you can do anything. And that and that has given rise, unfortunately, to like racist memes and, and harassment and the sort of darker side of VR that I'm sure we'll get to at some point in this conversation. <laughs> oh, internet! But so, rec room remains a little more wholesome. Yeah, I mean, which isn't to say it doesn't have its problems. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, more or less, it's 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 structured around play, which is this very mm-hmm. sort of wholesome impulse that we all share. So it's how how that play is realized, and also people building these sort of incredible worlds for other people to hang out in. Some there, there's a user who kind of created the Shire from the Lord of the Rings movies, and it's this incredible like bucolic valley, and it's green and lush, and people go there every night and watch fireworks because they set off fireworks in VR every night. That's one of the features that this user built into this environment. There are campfires. I mean, all these... Anyone can go there to that environment? That's right. Yeah, if it's a public public environment and anybody can go there. I find it really fascinating that the architecture of platforms creates their culture. You know, if you build 4chan in a certain way, you're going to get 4chan. And if you build Rec Room one way... It's fun and cute and it makes a community vibe and you build VR chat a different way and it's Wild West. Yeah. And that and that's one of the conversations that is sort of most urgent among people who are building these platforms is everybody saw what happened with the internet. Everybody saw what happened when companies prioritized growth and uh, and user base and scaling and money over user safety or even these sort of intrinsic little design choices that either incentivize or disincentivize certain kinds of behavior. And so it has really given sort of an interesting breadth of platforms that are pushing against the idea, does the platform make the behavior or does the behavior make the platform? 
in terms of where all this is headed, I, you know, earlier in the conversation, you were talking about um, the ability to be yourself uh, in VR, that there are less sort of filters on on who you, how you can express yourself and who you are. Um, and then also uh, the idea that relationships are accelerating very quickly, it seems, from Priscilla and Mark's story, at least. Um, what is the future of intimacy? I think that's what I'm trying to get at. How do you see intimacy changing because of virtual reality? <laughs> so I, I actually think that the internet in its sort of original incarnation accelerated disclosure more, right? Where you yes. saw when it was text-based and people were typing and you had sort of pure anonymity, people would unburden themselves for no reason at all. And they would just spill it to people. And you had these incredibly intense sort of text-based friendships and relationships that in the light of day, when these people would meet in real life, would tend to, if not fizzle out, at least come with this feeling of awkwardness. You're meeting somebody who doesn't necessarily match up with this, the, their interior, with this person you got to know right? That there's, whether it's the bravado that you put forward online or any of a million little ways we disguise ourselves, it, it leads to this feeling of sort of uh, dissonance to meet right. someone that you met online. Yeah. It just seems like that closeness that we all feel when we want to disclose things on Facebook, for example, mm -hmm. is less about like actually feeling close to other people and more about just not being able to see their faces or like know yeah. what the consequences are in their reactions. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And then, and yeah. then, so that's, that's kind of one poll. And then on the other extreme is meeting someone in real life where you get to see sort of how they behave anthropologically before you get to know their interior. Right. So there's this very slow process of disclosure during which you're becoming used to how they are. And so it leads to this sort of slower paced, richer, deeper relationship, but it takes more time. What VR does, what embodied presence does is kind of forges a, a path kind of in between those two poles, right? Where you have, when you go in there the first time, you have a little bit of anonymity because you're like, hey, I can just take this headset off. These people don't know me. But you can't exactly disguise who you are, at least not for a sustained period of time. Because as we talked about, that's so difficult to do because your real self is, is really coming out. Mm -hmm. So what's happening with relationships, whether platonic or not, the certain VR is when people meet outside, they get the sense that they're hanging out with the person that they always hung out with. The only difference is maybe they don't look exactly like their avatar did, but they move the same way. But all these other hallmarks of intimacy and closeness are preserved because you've gotten to know their outside and their inside at roughly the same pace, which is bananas to think about. Sort of, because their outside in VR is a cartoon that's missing limbs. Yes, but the way they move is the same. What yeah. I'm talking about isn't isn't just aesthetics. It's more the the the, the nonverbal mannerisms. Right. If if you were to have three people in front of you that you knew and they were only rendered as dots. There was a dot for their head, there were dots for their elbows and knees, and dots for <laughs> their hands. That's how I see Jen. You She's just a perfect. series of dots. And everyone and you couldn't hear any of them. But they all had yeah. to talk to you and you saw how they move, you would know who each of them was. If yeah. you know those people, you know how they move. We don't think about it because it's sort of, um, it's just baked into our overall holistic sense of another person. But the preservation of their nonverbal mannerisms in VR is actually a huge ingredient of that feeling of closeness, that feeling of truly knowing someone.
Hmm. In terms of actual romance, though, what about pheromones? So we're missing. Yeah. So we have we have two and a half senses in VR, right? We have sight and we have hearing and we have some very early fumbling versions of touch, but we don't have smell and we don't have taste. And depending on who you talk to, we're just a bunch of disabled cartoons running around. D- differently abled cartoons <laughs> running around. Yes, that's right. right. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. So, yeah, so depending on who you talk, depending on who you talk to, smell is a huge part of intimacy and memory and all these other things. So, do you? I mean, there there are companies that make. I hate to say this, smell modules, right? Sort of for use in gaming or anything else. But Wait, what? You, what? You know, you're, <laughs> like like smell like like glade plugins but those that are more tuned to the thing that you're doing in a Wait, game. Wait, so is VR porn going to like provide you with pheromone packets? <laughs> I think they have that unfortunately. Like really? I, yeah, yeah. Uh I I've definitely gotten like a press release about that kind of a thing <laughs> and have uh, erased it from my memory as best I could, but I know that there's something like that. I I'm not going to venture to speculate what particular odors they're going Can for. Can you just but... start forwarding these press releases to me cuz I need to know about this. <laughs> Look Ali, you should know better than anyone. You're asking a question. Do you think they'll develop this for porn? The answer yes, is the answer is yes. always yes. They exactly. make that. Okay. Yes. Or the that's answer is they already true. have. They already that's true. have. That's true. That's true. I'm sorry. I'm going to sit down. So smell and taste and, and touch, right? So these are the two and a half things that we don't have in VR yet. And I think if you're going to prioritize those... I think hopefully we can all agree that taste is is last uh, in in importance. Uh, touch is arguably first. So what we have is the ability to kind of feel only through our hands this kind of coarse haptic feedback, and it's just kind of rumble, just like a video game controller. And the you know when you do it well and you combine it with the right sort of audio cues, you can trick your brain into thinking that you're touching something or that has a shape or, or anything like that. But there's a bunch of companies that are working on how do you make touch better? And there are some companies that are doing it with ultrasonic air, right? So you you kind of hold your hand in midair over this the speaker that's pumping uh, ultrasonic bass into the air, and you can sort of feel the shapes of things that you see in VR. You can you can feel if something is a sphere or a cube, right? It's really it's really rudimentary. And then you've got sort of different haptic gloves that are trying to give you more nuanced feedback that that gives texture and warmth and things like that. But you know we have a long way to go before we unlock the sort of depth and diversity of what touch needs to be in order to feel truly real. That's fucking amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. No, no additional it's, questions. It sounds like no, but. It, <laughs> It sounds like if you put on a tactile suit now and try to have sex in it, it'll feel like the first time you ever tried to have sex. Like, it'll just be that fumbling oh, yeah. and like Losing your virginity in VR is going to be a whole thing. Like, are you a virgin? Well, which world? Uh. People are also going to be fucking all kinds of things once that oh, really Oh, that's takes true. Off. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there is that. But, I mean, if you, if you really think for a second about the are. logistics... Which they already are. So if you think for a second about the logistics of a tactile suit, sex, at least penetrative sex, feels very, very difficult to do for both 
biological sexes, right? Mm -hmm. Because in order to translate that sensory feedback, you'd need an additional implement of some kind, right? (laughs) The the suit isn't going to have the necessary sort of sheaths or anything else that you need in order to complete this. No, it's going to be way easier for men, but that's who they'll market it to first anyway. It's going to be the thing you said with the the sound waves. It's going to be just shooting air at your dick, just like vibrations. (laughs) (laughs) It's that thing. It's it's Coachella. (laughs) It's Coachella for your dick. It's just Coachella for your dick. Yeah, yeah. I'm trademarking that. Um, cool. So the thing that gets me excited, no pun intended, is that we we think about it as a suit, but but the real future is not the suit. The real future is uh, you just put a sunglasses on, and then you get the air waves, the sound waves around you, and you're wearing nothing or whatever, and you're in it. You're fully in it. Right. And that's the thing. That's when it goes mainstream, when you don't have to put a, a, a thing on your face or you don't have to use a controller. Uh, I'm sure Peter knows this, obviously. And then maybe you guys do, too. Like uh, Oculus, I think, just released a demo of hand tracking, meaning no controllers in your hands. The thing on your face knows where your fingers are and then your fingers appear in VR pretty pretty well and maybe maybe you've, you've even tried it. Yeah, extremely well. And And what's remarkable about this is they're not putting out a new headset for this. The existing headset, the Oculus Quest, is just getting a software update that unlocks its ability because it already has these cameras that look out at the world. So it's just able to use those to bring to scan your hands and bring them in. Now, that looks really cool, but if you think about it, you reach out and touch something in VR while you're wearing a controller, that controller will give you a little bit of rumble feedback and you'll know you've made Mm -hmm. contact with something. You Mm -hmm. do that when your hands are in there with no controller and and you kind of give up that haptic feedback entirely. So you do need, there, there is that period where having your hands in VR is going to be cool visually, but you need to be sort of holding something in order for your hands to well, know they're contacting gloves, things. Right. They'll be gloves. Or gloves. Soon. Yes. Right. Or gloves. gloves. Yeah. And, and, and Facebook is working on gloves and a lot of people are working on gloves. So mm-hmm. yeah. Or the or the the sound waves. Because I've never heard of that. And so the idea of combining uh finger tracking with a sound wave thing that's not like a giant device in your room, but just something very subtle that just creates vibrations in the air. That's that's where we're headed, you know. I yeah. love that. And there was actually just yesterday I saw. There's um, I want to say it's a Swiss lab. I might be wrong about the com- about the country, but they they've created uh, this incredibly thin sort of membrane that you can put over your fingertips uh, and ostensibly any other part of your body that gives you a uh, sort of incredible haptic variety without the bulkiness of what some of these glove prototypes already have. So, you know, everyone's pushing in the same direction. It's just a question of like, what are we going to land on? What is going to be best for us as kind of general consumers versus what are big companies paying to use in their offices. I mean, we've been joking, but I do think that porn is going to lead the way because porn always leads the way for these kind of advancements. 
And there's a market for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it already has been. I mean, the question when they started doing it was, is this going to wipe away everything else in the adult industry? And the answer, of course, turned out to be no. But at first, the thought was, well, you can't pirate VR the way you pirate other porn. And it won't end up on these tube sites the way all other porn does. And of course, it has. And of course, it does. But it also, what's been really interesting about the way porn has seized onto VR is that it has leveraged VR's sort of particular magic to change what the porn actually entails, as specifically the idea of eye contact, which you can't have any other way, right? There's POV porn, so there's this sort of illusion that you're looking at each other. But when you're wearing a headset and you're looking like you and the performer, it really Mm -hmm. tracks. And so what's actually Mm -hmm. happened is there are companies... In a man-woman scene where the man is wearing the controller and the woman is the performer, they've explicitly cropped out kind of below the waist. So you, if you look down, you won't see penetration happening because what matters to the viewer is what's happening sort of on the woman's face. Oh my God, that's so romantic. Who knew? <laughs> the guy actually just cares about the eye contact. The, <laughs> idea, of the, the idea of the quote girlfriend experience has been sort of taken to its absolute extreme in porn because that's what people care about. They care about the intimacy, not just the crazy sort of acrobatic carnality no, 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 of I it. I think there's going to be two different variations. Oh, for sure. One waist up, one sure, that's yeah. only waist down. It's just a floating vagina in VR. <laughs> Uh, they're going to be haptic gloves that just look like vaginas. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, haptic yeah. vaginas. Yeah. Well, Peter, taking this back to the romance of it, since you're fucking disgusting and I'm very wholesome. Um, so, do you think it's going to be kind of like internet dating? So at first it was super weird. Only kind of, you know the, the stereotype was it only kind of weird people did it, and then it went super mainstream. Do you think um, we're all going to be dating in VR in five, ten, twenty years? I think we're going to be spending more of our time socially in AR and VR. And I'm I'm using that as kind of a single term, right? Because for a long time, we thought about virtual reality and this other thing, augmented reality, as being totally different. If, if related, right? AR was a thing that you, you know, let you play Pokemon Go on your phone. But what's happening is all the companies that are making VR headsets are actively working on AR glasses because it's easier to be lighter and more comfortable and less obtrusive. And so I think that AR is actually going to drag VR into the mainstream in a way that VR has had trouble doing. So I think your time frame is right. I think we're looking at five to 10 years now as this turning the corner into being something that is more expected and more of a day-to-day thing. Mm-hmm. Like you, can, you sometimes see someone with a headset on in a coffee shop or on a plane or in a public library or wherever, but it always is a little weird, partially because the headsets look crazy pants big right now but also because it's just not that um it's not that common uh, a thing mm-hmm. so ar glasses looking the way they will i think is going to bring vr capabilities into them in a way so we are going to have sort of these things that are much more like matt talked about the idea of this the glasses or the sunglasses um and so that's that's where it's going so what happened with internet dating is, you know, in the very early part of the 2000s, you know, it started really percolating. And at first, people who met online 
you know, weren't that hot on telling people that's how they met their boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, partner, whatever. But now it's like you're surprised when you meet a couple who met in a bar or at a party, right? right? Because it has almost become the default. I think we got a little longer to go um, because what's going to need, because what's kind of necessary for that shift from meeting through sort of other online means like Tinder or whatever is that the phone needs to be backgrounded. And what the AR glasses and then the VR goggle kind of combo version are going to do is they're going to turn our phones into something that we're not checking a million times a day. We're just kind of keeping them on around because they're providing the power for the glasses. Thank so, God. I need right? to get rid I mean, of my phone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're still going to be distracted by notifications that ju- they'll just be happening kind of in our field of view. We won't be sort of breaking eye contact with people to check it. Mm-hmm. Ugh. That doesn't sound much better. <laughs> it's not necessarily better, but it does kind of turn this into the ubiquitous computing platform that it needs to be to be the way mm-hmm. that people meet by default. Mm-hmm. Well, the last thing I'm curious about, without giving too much away, because I want people to read your book, um, but just what are some more of like the weirdest or most interesting developments in VR that you've been researching lately? Oh, that's such a good question. After the book, I admit to having backed away for a couple months just uh, to because I felt like living in the real world. Yeah, a little bit of that. Um, And so what's really interesting is that what's the the, the weirdest advances in VR uh, and AR are not happening in what we are doing with them. They are happening sort of under the surface and, and the way that it's transforming other things that we wouldn't have expected, right? So so the vision of science fiction in the 90s was VR is going to lead to all these transformative changes. And it will eventually. Right now, the change in the way we're using it as humans is kind of incremental, right? What I wrote about in my book is basically still all that's happening. One thing that I think is really cool is, you know, um, Humans of New York, yeah. the mm-hmm. f- photography series that's huge on Facebook. Yeah. There's, um, there's a guy on VR chat, and I can't remember what country he's based in, but he does... I um, think we're talking to him soon. Yeah. <laughs> good. Yeah. So he has this Dr. humans. Sermore or something. Yeah. Sermore. Sermore. Yeah. Um, so he does this humans of VR chat and it's the first project that I've seen that really seeks to sort of codify the intimacy of a conversation by really talking to these people who have, who feel the license to be totally frank because they're Bugs Bunny or an anime (laughs) character, what have you. Uh Like it really does bring to bear all the stuff that I talked about in the book. And it didn't, this thing didn't exist when I wrote the book. It has since become really popular in VR chat. But I think that's one of the the sort of coolest things that's happening. But the other stuff that's happening sort of under the surface that is remarkable is say what you will about it. But the fact that the Lion King remake was made 100% in VR is crazy to me <laughs> like it's not a vr movie but it was made using vr had it been if they had they tried to make it in any other way it would have taken much longer been much more expensive all these other things so it's vr is revolutionizing things just not in the way we thought what's the killer app have you seen one yet or are we still waiting for it and by that i mean like netflix is a cool technology that really changed things but no one would give a shit about it unless there were great shows and movies and stories being told on it mm-hmm. and so as a gamer i I've observed some games moving to VR and I'm like, 
okay, when Skyrim is in VR and it came, that's going to be a big moment for VR. And lots more people are going to be like, oh, shit, VR. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. what do you see coming or what has happened that you think is like brought people in? Well, weirdly enough, Skyrim didn't change anything, right? Mm. Skyrim VR is something that people have been able to do and and, um, Fallout 4 VR and Doom VR and all the things. But these are all first person video games that are just made a little bit better by virtue of the fact that you're you feel more immersed in the game that's that doesn't change the way people feel about vr because it's not something you can only do in vr so there are a couple games that have sort of broken out by doing something completely different that harnesses vr's peculiar um facets one of them is called beat saber which is basically imagine guitar hero but you're holding two lightsabers and you're just slashing at the at the notes as they at the as they fly by you i played this incredibly incredibly fun right at the sony store yeah (laughs) and and beat saber is one of the very few vr games that has succeed like hugely succeeded by doing something that other games can't do it it takes embodied presence and it and it makes embodied presence the absolute prerequisite for the experience you can't do that any other way so i mean you could kind of do it with a nintendo wii kind of but it didn't it didn't feel the same so i don't think it's coming from gaming for me the killer app in in virtual reality has always been other people the question is is there a platform or an experience yet that harnesses that that harnesses what embodied presence does in a way that brings people into vr because they just can't stand not being able to do it otherwise and that we haven't seen yet because that depends on having some better haptic feedback the feeling of having your whole body inside and doing away frankly with some of the stigma around wearing a headset when facebook bought oculus i was like there goes the neighborhood. What the fuck? This makes no sense. They're going <laughs> to screw it up. And now what you just said is like, oh, right, because they have to make a virtual space like Facebook so that grandma will get on mm-hmm. Oculus. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And they're kind of doing it with all their devices. Facebook is like portal. Like they see that as an AR VR device because it all goes towards making the way you see people become somewhat flexible. Wait, portal, just they're like a screen thing that you can like yeah, put their screen kitchen? thing. Yeah. They, they, they hmm. position that as they call it an AR device because you can have filters on when you talk to grandma. That's fucking stupid. It is. It is. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Facebook is, and this is a depressing thing to think about, depending on how you feel about Facebook, but taking over, yeah, but they are far and away the most sort of robust funding source of VR and AR research that is out there. Mm -hmm. Like they're doing incredible shit in the lab. Like they have avatars that look 100% like the real people. I've done it. It's amazing. Um, they're able to re reconstruct rooms so you can hang out in a virtual environment that feels 100% like your actual living room. So wow. when you see AR and VR merge in a few years, like they're going to, it's because of the ability to do something in VR that is 100% like the way it would look if you do it in AR. Oh, I see. It looks like an overlay almost. Or the overlay looks indistinguishable from the real thing. Mm -hmm. You want to hang out in your living room with somebody who is in France, then they would put on a VR headset and they would hang out in the reconstruction of your living room. And you would put on AR glasses because you don't need your room reconstructed. You're already in there. And you would see their avatar through your AR glasses. Ah, 
Okay, right? so one side right. is AR and one side is VR. Exactly, and that's how you bring two people together for absolutely indistinguishable presence. In that scenario, which I am intrigued by, you snap your fingers and you change the wallpaper and you put a, ch- a new chair in the corner. Ooh. Like you're also manipulating the, your real space with an augmented reality overlay. W- what do you think about Minecraft Earth? Because that's my prediction for the killer AR app. Uh, outside of Snapchat and Instagram, which do hmm. incredible AR already, but in a different way, this is building a Minecraft uh, castle or whatever on your front lawn. And then when other people walk by, they will see it overlaid in the real world. I, I agree. I think it's going to be a, a huge moment for AR. Um, I actually said as much. I wrote a piece about it earlier this year. What's interesting to me about Minecraft isn't necessarily the game part of it or the Minecraft part of it. It it remains one of the most popular games in the world. And like mm-hmm. tens of millions of people play it every month and it has this huge user base. But what they're doing in order to enable this sort of sharing of experiences in AR is they're building this sort of data layer that's much more granular than GPS that lets you tie things to very specific locations and know where from where you're standing how it's supposed to look. So that's an early example of, of what I think Wired actually called the mirror world, which is, it's also called the AR hmm. cloud. And I think Facebook has a different name for its own version of it. There has to be this invisible location tagged layer of the world that allows you to have... AR experiences that other people can see at the same time. So that's getting built in a, in a bunch of different ways. But Minecraft Earth is a really interesting and sort of early way that that we're going to see it in action. And get ready for advertisers to fuck it up. That's right. <laughs> well, my mind is blown. I don't know what to do next. But we do have some questions from our fans in our Discord server. At C.D. Harrison wants to know, did they consummate their relationship in VR first? Lol. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. All right. And now um, Rainf09. Wait, did they? Well, what's the answer? <laughs> we don't know. Something's in private. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't. Guys, I, can't. I don't even know if they have pelvises in Rec Room. <laughs> I, I can't speak for them. I my guess is it's pretty difficult to do. Rec, you know, rec room doesn't have a lot of uh, sex functionality yet. Okay. Yeah, not <laughs> yet, yet, not yet. But stay tuned. Stay tuned. You heard it here. Haptic suits. Everybody's gonna be fucking in VR soon. All right, Rain F09. What if any are the biggest differences with dating via VR versus traditional online dating methods? Both of my previous relationships started online, but not via online dating sites. We actually met on a social platform, the same one for both of my ex-partners, <laughs> and had started out as friends, just wondering how it works in VR. Now I want to know what the platform was. Do you think I know, it was me too. Oh, he's Raina, killing it, know. or she? Yeah. yeah, both met both exes on the same platform. I've been hanging out the wrong places. But I love that. It's like here's an app explicitly for everyone here is dating. Like, come here to date. And then the other side is like, we're all just hanging out, talking about you know gardening, and oh, strike up a conversation. And that is more natural. It's a more yes. natural meeting. Yes, I agree. Says the married forever man. But <laughs> yes. I'm. I'm Certain, because this makes me think of like Facebook dating, which I don't want to join because like Facebook, blah. But then Facebook's doing all this crazy research in VR and AR, and so is it just inevitable and we should accept Facebook world domination? Like, I don't know what to do. I mean, if they're smart, they're going to spin it out into something that is more like an Instagram, right? Where you don't feel like you're using Facebook. You're just using this other cool VR AR thing. Well, this has been mind boggling. I like 
that we covered everything. It got dirty. It, it got clean. <laughs> and everyone, check out Peter's book. It's called Future Presence, How Virtual Reality is Changing Human Connection, Intimacy, and the Limits of Ordinary Life. Thank you so much for joining us, Peter. We really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks for having me on, guys. That was fun. It's cool. It's cool to hear a real story. I encourage everybody to read that article that Peter wrote in Wired about the wedding at the virtual reality wedding, because it is cool to like just actually see what it hear about what it looks like. And the more he talked about it, I was like, yeah, this is pretty accessible. Like, I would definitely give gaming a try, like playing Pictionary with somebody there. That sounds awesome. I tried some different games and simulations in Oculus, and it fucking blew my mind. And I actually tried one where you create a full body avatar. I didn't bring this up in the interview, but it's very responsive. And it had all my... All my parts. All, all your parts? Both shins. Your lady parts? <laughs> yeah. Wow. No. no. Oh, were there titties? Wow. I don't really have those in real life either, so I don't know. <laughs> but it was like, I remember it was really, it was actually, I was surprised how like empowering it was because I created like this badass bitch version of myself with like green hair and this like collar and crazy outfit and like I danced and it to- it matched completely. Whoa, that's wild. They should have got married that. with that. Yeah, I don't know. I have a friend who works at Oculus, so I don't know if maybe I was drawing something that's like not on the market not yet. The market. But well, like, that was my was question is like, crazy. yeah, what's your experience? So you've done that sort of in a in an experimental or behind closed doors scenario, it sounds like. Uh, and Jen, you yeah. said you played Beat Saber. Like how much other VR have you guys experienced? I've done quite a bit. I think it's really cool. But for me, what blew my mind the most was the storytelling capacity of it. Mm. Like I saw this short called Dear Angelica. Um, I think that's what it's called. And it was it's a collaboration between Pixar and Oculus. Mm-hmm. And it was fucking crazy. Like to be in a in an immersive cartoon. Like it sounds like, okay, fine. I've seen a ton of cartoons, but you're like in a painted world that has depth and it's unbelievable. And so there's this moment where there's color all around you and the music swelling. And then all of a sudden it goes to black and you're surrounded by darkness and there's a tiny hospital bed in front of you. And I was like, holy shit, like this is spatial storytelling in a way that we've never seen. So that part really blew my mind in terms of the implications there. Um, but, uh, but I think like where it's really gaining traction is like porn and gaming. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I think eventually yeah. like this, the storytelling aspect is pretty crazy, but most of some of the VR I've tried, I'm like, eh, but most of the things I'm tr- I've tried, I'm like, this really is pretty crazy. Yeah. Everything you're saying about storytelling is the reason why it will eventually get big. But my hang up is like, I still want agency in that story. I want to be able to yeah, move this, this around was the like, environment. Yeah, and, this was like a movie. I mean, you could you could turn yeah. around and look around, but you were not part. You were not a part of it. What I'm actually really intrigued to try is this community aspect where you're actually going to meet real people because it's a multiplayer universe. Yes. And spoiler alert: stay tuned. We are going to be talking to that VR doctor therapist that he mentioned dr searmore in a future episode it's happening so get excited yes slow clap. Clap. let's go oh. back to the slow so, clap. so okay. <laughs> um yeah. full circle yeah that's right so as well if you are hanging out in a vr community let us know which one maybe we'll join you and i'm serious this time except for i have to get a headset first anyway you can tweet us. I'm at Allie Gold. 
I'm at Junebugger, J-O-O-N Bugger. You can also email us at 2G1podcast at gmail.com. You can call us. You can leave us a voicemail, which we love, as you know. We do. Uh, that number is 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6LIT. And speaking of voicemails. Oh. <gasps> do you have one for it's us? It's time. Oh, shit. For a is, segment we call yeah. Calls from the Public. <laughs> Squeals from the public. I hope it's Lewis. This is Allie, and you've reached two girls, one voicemail. Please leave us a message. Thanks for calling. Hey, Jen. Hey, Allie. Hey, Matt, and all the other people listening to this. Um, This is Andrea, longtime listener. I just have a very burning question for you, and I could have just tweeted this to you, but I'm driving, and I really just want an answer, and I'm not going to remember to ask it. If I, like, leave this for when I get back, email you, so I'm just going to call and ask. I know that Allie's in L.A. and Jen's in New York and Matt is wherever, um, <laughs> but how the hell do you, like, record this? Is it on, like, a voice chat server? Like, I know you guys record from different places, and I feel like this is a really easy answer that I just am not thinking of right now. I'm totally drawing a blank. But isn't there, like, lag? Like, I guess this is a question for Matt. Hey, Matt, <laughs> um, to further elaborate on, is technology good enough? I, I just don't understand how it comes out so well because I, like, Skype call and everything with people from across the world, and, you know, the quality is crap. So you guys have to have some kind of really high-quality streaming service. Like, I honestly know nothing about technology. So I love your show. You guys know that. Uh, keep doing you and answer my question. Bye. Bye. Hi. Andrea, that's so cool that you just called us from the road. Also, like, is our number programmed into your phone? Was it that, like, easy access? <laughs> I hope so. So exciting. I hope it's speed dial. Yeah. Well, we're not hanging out in VR yet in in Matt's living room. I hope we do that soon. I For know. now, we're using a service called Zencaster, which is the bane of Matthew's existence. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Zencaster. It's a little buggy sometimes. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Andrea asked, does this technology work? I would say the answer is not usually. <laughs> oh, usually it does. <laughs> usually. Usually it does. Sometimes uh, it doesn't. Matt does an incredible job of editing the interviews, but we often will have like lags that happen. It's a really good question because we just got done talking about like, you can, you know, fly through outer space oh, in VR yeah, yeah. and like talk to some, get married to someone you and it's like all this fidelity and and you feel the presence of someone and then VoIP calls like Skype and Google Hangouts and these services they still sound like shit all the time. Like why is it 2019 and we can't even make a phone call on an on the internet that doesn't drop 20 times? Right. Zencaster is the tool we use. It's really quite amazing. Uh, it, we're on a call right now. We're on a VoIP call, very similar to Skype. Everything we say into our microphones is recorded locally, and then I get the files uh, of the actual local audio, so we don't sound like we're underwater or on a cell phone. We sound like we're in a in a room together, talking on microphones. The problem is, to Andrea's point and question, like the lag and the the, the dropouts and the technical issues happen all the time and there are times when i get the episode back and you know ali will say something and jen will will respond and she's laughing at something that hasn't even been said yet like she's laughing at a joke that hasn't been said yet because we're drifting apart i also have esp for jokes you do well, I, yeah sure. I, well, I sometimes but laugh. Thing, jen and i have hung out so much like she knows what i'm gonna say well, you know shit, so yeah maybe maybe it's not like <laughs> yeah, maybe you guys it's are just fine she just knows you know yeah. 
Wow. From, okay. I've been doing this wrong. <laughs> from the like performer point of view, just like us being able to talk on this, it was really hard at first, I think, for, for it to feel natural, but now it feels completely natural. It's just like not being able to read each other's nonverbal cues, but now I can listen for your inhales, um, all those little things that tip me off that you're about to speak. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, it's a little, you can hear my seltzer. I could hear your seltzer earlier when you poured yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. Great radio. I think <laughs> I do a slightly better job at not talking too much when we're remote. Cause I just get too excited when we're all in the room. But like when I'm by myself, I'm like, Allie, you should stop talking now. I was just thinking, yeah, <laughs> I was just feeling nostalgic for us being in the room together. Wanted to mention that. Well, I will be in town soon. Mostly nostalgic I... for the eggplant parmesan we would eat at lunch when we would just sit around oh, and shoot the yeah. shit. Um, but also yeah, for recording. Yeah. yeah, together. And it's nonverbal cues, though. Yeah. Yeah. Like we all could like read each other's faces and then jump in. Guys, when, let's go when into rec room. Right. We'll record while we're in rec room. I like I'm not it. Opposed to that. That'd be cool. a cool next level. We should do a Patreon tier where you can hang out with us in VR in a chat room that Jen and I created. Like Jen I and I will create a world that. and then you can come hang out with us in that world. In VR chat where there's no rules, what avatar? What avatar are you? Are you like, you know, Sonic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Naked that's Sonic. Hot. That's hot. <laughs> Who's the girl? Yeah. Like, the, Is her name Vixen, the other hedgehog who was like a, oh, it's a guy, sure. but sometimes she's a girl. Shadow. Shadow. I'll be Shadow. I might just be a little piglet. <laughs> Just Sonic, just a Sonic themed <laughs> yes. rec room for yeah, us. That's, then. that's right. No, 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 no. Leave it. Jen and I are going to create our own room. It's going to be water slides. Um, it's going to be. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We're going to make our own game room. Yeah. I'm into this idea. Seriously, I need to do some more VR exploration. Anyway, you can visit patreon.com slash 2G1P to support this show. There is not a VR chat room option yet, but maybe there will be soon. We're working on it. And we will Mm -hmm. see you next time and hopefully catch you this week in our Discord server. All right, catch you next week, everybody. Bye. Two Girls, One Podcast is hosted by Jennifer Damula and Allison Goldberg and filmed before a live virtual audience. I mean, produced and edited by Matt Silverman in New York City. Production assistance is provided by the Podglomerate. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe. Varying sizes, ages, and details. <laughs> Varying sizes, ages, and details on the <laughs> I know, it's going to be yeah. From the Lancaster Wax Museum in a barn race. <laughs> 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 you go and you started laughing and crying. All right.